0: A podcast about creating and sharing new ways to play. My name is Ryan Heyman. You can call me H. And I'm Ryan Quintel. You can call me Q. For the 150th time, this is our big, yeah, our big (laughs) 150. Uh, It's, um, I I guess quite a momentous occasion. Uh, Yes, we're going to hedge our bets on the 50s because the uh, the year specials were were coming up um, pretty soon after, and um, but uh, yeah, this year you know, every year it adds a couple more weeks. And so I think this year we're okay to celebrate this and the year without it looking too tacky.
1: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. If this is now a, a, true, you know, every year you go, the war, the more separation you get. And I guess if you do 52, uh, 50th specials, Uh, then you probably wrap all the way around to on your 50th year of podcasting. I don't know if this math works out, by the (laughs) way. 52nd year of podcasting, you're also doing your 52nd year in business and you're what, like 20,000th show or something. I don't know how it works out.
0: We'll be old men, old men gamers at that point. Right before recording... I kind of caught you in the middle of a very strange live stream that you were doing.
1: So I didn't know that my voice was inaudible about that, which must have been just (laughs) such a warm reception for anyone coming out of the stream.
0: It was the sound of, like, wind blowing and the occasional (laughs) (laughs) train going by in the background.
1: Yeah. Um, So I you know, like many people during this trying time, during these unprecedented times, I'm so sick of hearing that word, Mm -hmm. have been going a little stir crazy. And so I went and started doing an Instagram live stream just to see... You know, folks I know to cheer them up to to kind of say, hey, I miss you. I hope you're safe. I hope you're well. And a couple of people tuned in. And I think all in all, it was maybe like 12 people that stopped by the live stream. And then like at first it was just me hanging out, uh, having a little uh, tequila on this Cinco de Mayo. That's when this is being recorded mm-hmm. for you listeners you know, today I went all out. I shaved my beard. I've got this weird mustache look right now. It's very strange. And so it was supposed to be this fun, funny thing. And then I was like, you know what? Just sitting there playing Pictionary in real time would probably be fun to do on Twitch. I don't have any Twitch followers. You know, I've got no audience there, so I know I was going to basically be doing it like a clown in front of no one. (laughs) So I started streaming and then I saw one viewer uh, and then I was like, oh, okay, here we go. And I, you know, started drawing the thing and giving myself 15 seconds or whatever and showing it. And it was, it was a catfish. And what did you call it? It was a whale torpedo. <laughs> yeah, it, was the, it, it did kind of look like a whale torpedo, but then you, you had the decency of telling me that I was completely inaudible uh, <laughs> in chat, which was super embarrassing. So I think after we're done here tonight, you and I, I might try putting something together with my webcam and ipad and the mac and see if i can do a more official uh live streaming setup that might okay. be cool
0: that's cool it was just uh i don't know it was like walking into like a modern art museum and <laughs> you always see something that you just don't understand but you're like you know what somebody made this they were very happy with what they did i'm just gonna let them have that moment
1: <laughs> oh my goodness well, I appreciate you, you very kind sweet of like of
0: inaudibly muttering to yourself while drawing on an iPad. Or just,
1: I must look like a beautiful mind or something. Just I don't know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. Well, let's um, let's get to uh, the exact opposite of your earlier stream, where people can hear our words but can't see anything that we're doing.
1: Yeah. So, do we have something special planned for 150? Do here?
0: for 150, we had a we had a request from Micah Sguera who uh, said, I don't have a game idea, but an idea for maybe a special episode in the vein of the E3 episode you did last year. How about an episode that's all pitches for the next installment in existing franchises? You could give your takes on how you'd add new mechanics or story elements to freshen up well-known IPs like Bioshock, Assassin's Creed, or even something like Medal of Honor. My own suggestion? Well, I guess we'll save that till the end. Uh, he, he does have a suggestion, and we'll wrap around to that but we thought you know what we've got our 150 coming up why not do this special episode now so instead of doing the regular game pitches and spending 10 minutes ideating on something entirely kind of fresh and new we're going to be um, doing a little bit more rapid fire we've brought a couple of um, ideas each ourselves for uh, next installments in existing franchises and then basically we open the floodgates on the community and we're uh, Going to be pretty rapid-fire going through what we would add to all of the games that they have uh, sent in to us so I guess um, with that do you want to uh, Present your ideas first or would you rather go second?
1: Here is a sequel that I think should exist it's to one of my favorite xbox era games jade empire mm. and i think we've talked about this game potentially before on the show but i would love to see jade empire redone that was a bioware game that used uh kind of martial arts as almost like a crouching tiger hidden dragon um sort of style game where you have this over-the-top martial arts as the combat system. And I thought, wouldn't it be cool to uh, build out kind of an open world Breath of the Wild potentially style where you're going around and there's all these different sub-kingdoms you could go to and you are rallying, you're going to these different sub-kingdoms doing quests, Uh, you get way more cool character action sort of combat going on and you're recruiting more and more people and building up to a sort of massive dynasty warriors, uh, size spectacle at the end where the entire empire has Hmm. to go to war against some sort of big bad.
0: So Jade empire, one of the, I've played the first hour of this game, I think uh, (laughs) a long time ago, but, uh, it's, um, it's interesting to see one of the things that really kind of stood out to me was, um, this, uh, very kind of uh, traditionally Asian setting. Um, You know, this is as if you kind of close your eyes and picture, you know, the type of ancient Asia where Kung Fu movies tend to be set, then you'll pretty much get the setting of this game one for one.
1: Yeah, (laughs) for sure. We see
0: this type of setting reflected in games that come out uh, out of Japan and China, but we don't see often Western takes on Asian history and mythology and such. Um, I, I mean, other than just kind of a shared language of, uh, game design, uh, inevitably has some allusions to, you know, Japanese mythology and then stuff like that. But I was, uh, perhaps there's, um, potential for cultural appropriation or misunderstanding of certain elements and, um, the uh, the kind of Orientalism that uh, plagued a lot of European literature, and and it's kind of a nasty point in yeah. in uh, history there. But perhaps now that kind of the hatchet's buried, that there's uh, not this kind of mysteriousness of about that part of the world. There's not this kind of animosity between the people. Like it would be interesting to see non. Asian cultures tackle an Asian setting in the same way that uh, Japan often, oftentimes, sets uh, you know their games in um, American settings. Uh, sometimes, very accurately, and sometimes in ways that are uh, kind of endearingly puzzling.
1: Yes, you're right. There's a lot of stereotypes in terms of character design in this. There's stereotypes in terms of. Uh, even the sort of characters that they're painting with—it's you know Bioware, who I believe is a you know a Western uh, developer mm-hmm. in many ways, kind of putting their own brush and their own spin on that sort of Asian culture. They were the first to do so many different types of things, including like their work with you know the the rock jade that um, that you know we haven't seen that setting. I feel like fully built out in a really modern graphical engine and maybe i'm wrong about that i think sekiro is like the closest we came but sekiro is very linear very level based so to see you know just being able to have the feeling of like walking through the countryside you can now like with time and space and like you know a game games today are so unafraid to be like ah this is a 200 hour game even though sometimes it stresses Mm. me out uh the idea of incorporating things like true practice, uh, of your, uh, combat or your defensive skills, um, either with a master or with an apprentice that you could be working with and, you know, using things like meditation and mental and physical healing to really build out what it feels like to build a set of, these sort of fantastic combat skills that I, I think would feel really cool and feel like you're really developing the physicality uh, and the mental concentration of somebody who maybe believes in or is following, uh, you know, these sorts of practices.
0: That's one of the things that always kind of interests me about this is perhaps a uh, unfair, um, you know, painting with a, uh, with very broad brush. Um, but uh, a lot of the kind of East Asian martial arts and stuff like that utilize aspects of of balance and self-control and kind of centering yourself. And, you know, we get aspects of that in uh, Sekiro and did a good job of um, depicting both the life meter and then the stance meter, your kind of balance, um, which is, which could be equally as deadly when it depletes. So it'd be it'd be neat to explore ways in which this kind of inner focus or, um, you know, this, uh, the sense of balance, the sense of, of peace and keeping kind of a cool head, uh, could be, um, turned into a, a gameplay system.
1: It could be that we're about to get a heavy dose of this with, the uh, ghosts of Tsushima, uh, coming out on you know PS4, That's PS5. they right. there but, also
0: um, a Western studio? Actually, I think just um probably just down the road from where I live now.
1: <laughs> there you go. So I think that there's definitely something to, you know, other people have identified that we've been missing both this genre, this tone, and this setting, but you know, potentially you can zig where that game zags where you tell an epic story over a number of years of a whole family or Uh, You can kind of change the scope and the scale of it. Where I imagine Ghost of Tsushima looks a lot like a um, sort of dramatic single character action game. You could go a little bit more developmental, uh, thoughtful RPG with with this.
0: Very cool. I think um, based on the number of games we have to get through today, I think that's a good place to wrap that one up. Yeah. Uh, do we want to give these titles? I don't know if that's necessary since
1: (laughs) Jade Empire Two, the Jade Jade thing. Yeah. The hunt for Curly's gold.
0: (laughs) All right. um, The first idea that I'm going to be bringing in today is um, one of those kind of like shower thoughts. One of these things I keep coming back to, and this is like a far, far flung, you know, not anywhere close to being a reality with our current technology, but every year we kind of see something that gets us a little bit closer. And so it's one of the things I think about anyways, that maybe someday there will be games like this. Um, Anyways, I'm thinking of a a sequel to Grand Theft Auto that is made of kind of procedurally generated stories and uh, procedurally generated voice acting as well. Once we get machines that can really emulate human speech and, uh, you know, characters that could be programmed with a sense of, you know, wants and needs and obstructions and goals and this kind of thing that can really lead to interpersonal drama. And basically you're given this kind of big city of people and everybody has their own story and you are just inhabiting one random character within this um, city, uh, kind of like a Grand Theft Auto, and going on this adventure with the character and, and, you know, I don't know how much of it is pre-scripted or how much of it is entirely created on the spot by the computer. But, um, basically, you know, this, this story's unfolding. It's unique to whoever's playing it, you know, but once the character dies somehow, then you basically switch to somebody else in the city and the person that you were following before their story is kind of over. So I want to take this feeling that you get this attachment that you get to like a Dungeons and Dragons character that you may have built up over multiple years, and um, inject this kind of sense of consequence back in the Grand, the- Grand Theft Auto, the sense of unpredictability of really owning a narrative for yourself, and um, and you know make it kind of the most shareable game out there, uh, to where you can uh, go online, hear people's stories, and know that you'll. Likely never get the chance to experience them one for one. So uh, everyone has a story. You are a passenger that gets to um, control one person at a time until they die by natural or not
1: natural causes or otherwise. I think that's really cool. I are, are you also? So you're talking about also the character that you control is finite in this world.
0: Well, it's um, you know in the world of Grand Theft Auto you know i i'd
1: like it yeah you're a superhero you're invincible uh,
0: yeah uh so you know you could still probably withstand the amount of abuse that you couldn't a that out again but if you do die in a gunfight or if you get run over by a car or something like that then your character you know you don't get the wasted screen you get you know your black screen your character's uh, obituary and then you just move on to a different character you're not <laughs> able to presume that story anymore
1: what if you also incorporated the idea, because you know, Grand Theft Auto definitely smooths out the consequences of mm-hmm. one's actions. What if you also incorporated the idea of jail time? Yeah, sure. And so <laughs> you could be arrested and like potentially if you get up to enough escalation, you're try- you sort of become incentivized to like de-escalate yeah, yeah. uh in some way and and then by de-escalating, you can be arrested instead of just shot down. And then and then you can actually reclaim that character like X amount of <laughs> days or weeks or, God forbid, months later. And they're, they're old. I do like the idea of like, for some reason, prison like hyper-ages you. And so you just mm-hmm. get back like an old person version of the character. Or if the person was a teenager, they become like a middle-aged person. And now they... You know the character's slower. They're worse at a number of things, but they're still your character. There's a chance to kind of train them back up and and get them get them good again. I
0: was thinking this is perhaps you know, there are ramifications that I don't really like in this if uh, if the character dying was the only way to switch to a new character, so you know, then I, I feel like there are certain problems with that. Like, on the one hand, it would be really neat to have that idea of jail time, like be a significant threat kind of hanging over your head that, like, if you get arrested, you're going to have to, like, in real-world time, like, navigate a jail, and who knows how long you could be stuck there. You can't just at will switch to another character. You have to, like, really either wait it out or uh, unfortunately try to find some way to commit prison suicide or something like that. Like that's, this is like the kind of messiness of this that I really don't like, but, um, you know, and then if people roll a character that they don't, they're not immediately interested in, then they could like jump off a building or something. It's just like, I don't know. There's certain like nastiness in just the way that people would play it. That would make it uh, not something that I would actually implement, but, uh, the idea of jail being like a real credible threat, or you know, you you take the it really incentivizes you to to have a fight back and shoot out with the cops and stuff. You know, you're never going to take me alive because Blaise, yeah, blaze of glory. Why not?
1: <laughs> uh, speaking of uh, encouraging dark behaviors, um, <laughs> the, the I think I one mechanic you could have is it's so funny because the only game I feel like in recent memory that does stuff like this is uh, State of hmm. Decay. Yeah. and so maybe you have like a commune or something that you're growing and you can recruit people get them to join the commune and that gives you access to all these characters maybe grand theft auto style you can keep like three in mm-hmm. active rotation that you can switch between um and it sort of zooms you all over the yeah. map that'd be really cool i don't know if gta does this towards the end but you join those characters up and then you're switching between them mm-hmm. in real time in a mission that could be cool yeah
0: You can uh, find ways to spring one of your guys out of jail.
1: Oh, yeah. If you get pinched, then you have to stage a jail (laughs) escape. That's cool. But
0: uh, one of the things that I think would be really interesting is each of these characters have homes, you know, They, they all live in the city. It would be interesting to, like, for one character to die, to be kind of thrown into somebody else's life already in progress, and then to just, like, drive up to this home that you've spent so much time in before... And just kind of see, you know, like what's happening, you know, maybe, maybe the house is being sold because the occupant is dead. Maybe there's like an estate sale, maybe the, the family that the person left behind are in mourning and maybe there's their characters you can still interact with. And, uh, and in some ways, like you can even carry forward some of the knowledge that you would gain. So if you wanted to like pass your progress in a way between characters, then you could like open a lockbox in the bank, and then like bury a key somewhere very specific that like you, the player, will remember. Wow. And then you can just guide this new character to that key. But then you always have to like kind of keep in mind how much do I want to keep on my person, how much do I want to put in this lockbox in case I get uh, taken out in a gang fight or something like that. So you know, just let's let's have some like real consequences, some real kind of life planning and, um, in a way that would kind of like put things into a different perspective. I don't think Grand thought Auto has really had before.
1: That's cool. I like the lockbox mechanic too. And having the, it, it would almost feel red dead, yeah. right? In this sort of solemn lead up to a final confrontation where you're like, okay, I'm going to put away the most important things. And maybe, uh, maybe to, in order to retain your house, uh, you have to, maintain your relationship with your family or your spouse. If you have one, right? Like, uh, if you don't have a spouse, you risk your stuff being sold in an estate sale. If you do have a spouse, you have to have a good relationship with them in order to be welcomed back and, you know, have access to all your stuff again, or else you get kicked to the curb and you have to go get a shitty apartment and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, I, I, I'm so interested to see if this could be done with the, you know, that's like, I feel like gaming's, uh, you know, golden goose that we're always aiming for of like this generative Mm storylines where with enough variables, because, you know, humankind, we think, you know, stories are finite in in many ways in terms of what you can do with them. So like, surely you could generate that stuff and yeah, it'd be really interesting to see.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm curious to see how Watch Dogs 3 is going to manage kind of a similar thing where you can play as like, I don't know if it's any civilian in this world, but there's at least like a very large variety of of people that you can recruit into this agency. And then they turn into the playable characters in a way. So, um, maybe, you know, this time next year or later this year, whenever this game ends up coming out, uh, we'll be, um, looking back on this episode and saying, Hey, we weren't that far off to begin with.
1: Just know Ubisoft that I am in no mood to stare at cover art of somebody wearing a face mask now. So please <laughs> execute your, your box art more tastefully. Well,
0: there, uh, the, the face mask on the, uh, watchdog three box art is a pig mask. So it's a little bit more eccentric <sighs> than what we're used to seeing out in the grocery stores of the modern world.
1: I don't know what you're talking about. I've got my pig <laughs> mask right here by my side and everything. Fair
0: enough. Here. Let's uh, let's wrap that one up and go to your next pitch.
1: Okay. This next one, to me, I'm surprised it doesn't exist yet. And it is an end game in many ways for me. So s- I've tentatively called it something like Super Engine Brothers or okay. something like that. But uh, Nintendo has a few great arcade fun style locomotion games in f-zero uh an old diddy kong racing back in the mm-hmm. n64 and uh of course mario kart and i'm just thinking it's time for the smash ultimate of kart and arcade racing give us f-zero meets diddy kong racing meets Uh, Mario Kart give us tons of crazy levels set in all sorts of different types of Nintendo fiction I know they have dabbled in this in Mario Kart Mm -hmm. now especially with DLC and that sort of thing Uh, and give us CC's and I know they've dabbled in this that go all the way crank it all the way up to uh, those F zero speeds and uh, require those F zero type vehicles potentially to navigate them Uh, So now you're in land, air, sea, you've got all sorts of different characters and pilots from all sorts of different Nintendo fiction, and you're doing all uh, crazy crossover worlds. And I'm sure you can get uh, all the same people who want to cross over into Super Smash to to cross over into a crazy vehicle racer, too. This
0: is a good idea. I feel like it's... um kind of similar to what uh Sega did with Sonic and All-Stars Racing Transformed actually. Have you played that one?
1: I haven't. No. As oh, we're gosh. tracking down Of course um, it already exists.
0: The uh, is. The, <laughs> the most recent Sega Sonic racing game was uh Sonic Team Racing or Team Sonic Racing. Yeah. uh which kind of stripped everything that I liked out of uh Sonic and All-Stars Racing Transformed, uh which is a a very good kart racer. <laughs> But you can play as a myriad of Sega characters uh, through several Sega game-inspired courses. And they are, like, surprisingly just extremely faithful to the original concepts of these games. You know, you have uh, uh, Panzer Dragoon and House of the Dead and Outrun and Sonic, of course. And so, you know, it's it's really, really interesting. Um, they take all of these very disparate concepts, really pay a lot of love and attention, um, through the course designs. And, uh, you're, you are in these, uh, transforming vehicles, um, going between, uh, sea, land and air. Oh yeah. Uh, so it's a uh, air. I'm seeing yeah. it now.
1: Son of a beast thing. <laughs> Sega's done it. I see the crazy taxi guy. Is that what yeah. I'm looking at there?
0: there? There's a good old one. <laughs>
1: That's probably uh, well, it's 2012. Is that the most uh, contemporary inclusion of the uh, the poor crazy yeah, taxi guy? Or
0: unfortunately,
1: I think that's cool. So, you know, I <laughs> I should have checked this out, but unbeknownst to me, I was basically just asking for Nintendo. Yeah. This <laughs> I think, like you, you could do something where, in the same way that Diddy Kong Racing had that sort of overworld where you would pilot into different challenges. Uh, potentially you could do an overworld here. I know smash has done overworlds mm-hmm. uh, before, but you do an overworld where you're actually going instead of it to the like frost layer and the, you know, the volcano place and all this stuff, you do it based on the characters and the fictions uh, that you've built out. So you get that kind of feeling of exploring their space, very freeform. form um, potentially as a, as a character, your own that you're building or, Um, as one of these pre-selected characters and um, cruising through these levels so like what this looks pretty comprehensive in many ways what is what's different i guess how does f-zero make some of the sonic racing stuff different because i feel like f-zero is Mm -hmm. so distinct in its feel
0: i mean the speed is the thing that really kind of changes that the most i feel like if you are in transforming vehicles to go between a mario kart speed section and an f-zero speed section although i mean there have been f-zero courses in mario kart so maybe it's entirely yeah. doable but um it almost feels like you have to choose one or the other but i could see f-zero transitioning into like Star Fox, and and to take that into like a you know, oh. underwater or flying. Star Fox Zero. Yeah, yeah exactly.
1: <laughs> I, I think that's cool. I One of the things that you could incorporate, I know everything It kind of ends up in this place today, so maybe this is too tired, but you could incorporate the sort of F-Zero concept of vehicle improvement mm-hmm. uh, or being able to swap uh, that sort of stuff. I know Mario Kart dabbles in that now. So... I think a little light RPG stacked on top of this could be really fun. And maybe what you're doing is like, if you use the Sonic all-stars racing um, model where the cart is suddenly becoming a flying machine or it's suddenly becoming a scuba diving machine, you can go in and put on parts that are specifically only going to benefit one of those things. Mm -hmm. Right. So you're trying to like potentially pull ahead at different places on these courses
0: or one of the games i wanted to reference in here as well was um speaking of smash bros like games the playstation all-stars battle royale i think it was called on the playstation 3 and vita which was sony's kind of take off on the smash bros formula i wouldn't say it was entirely yeah. successful as a uh, smash bros type fighting game but it did have some interesting concepts in that the levels were you know kind of grounded in one game franchise and then they would be invaded by another game franchise so you would you know start oh. playing in a for the about rapper that. world and then that would be invaded by you know giant mechs for one of the other games or you know, um,
1: you're like a waterfall from Uncharted. Yeah, or yeah. Something.
0: So you know, the Twisted Metal people would roll into the Loco Roco world, or the Tekken people would take over um, <laughs> Jack and Daxter, and just all these like.
1: And it, it kind of, just as you describe the franchises, I can tell you why the <laughs> game didn't. <work. laughs> um, it's so funny to hear that because, like, I feel like gamers now have like think of Sony as having a rich history, but at that point, maybe it wasn't as rich as they thought they had built up at that mm. point. I I guess, you know, we don't have to spend too much time on, on this. I could do a second one, but that's, that's kind of all, all that I was thinking about.
0: Okay, on that. Well, I, I think that's cool. Um, I think that's a, that's a good amount of time. Let's go on to another pitch. Um, this one's coming from me. I was thinking about a uh, new Tony Hawk's Pro Skater game. And uh, as I mentioned on this show and on Sound of Play, I've been playing a lot of fighting games recently. And I want to kind of incorporate some of those aspects into Tony Hawk because there's a lot of similarities in the goals and the way that you play. You know, it's all about kind of building up bigger and bigger combos. But in Tony Hawk, you always feel like you are losing speed when you rack up the combos, you know, inevitably there'll be something that slows you down and you're just kind of like creeping along with the manual, trying to reach the next rail or when you hit a, right. and uh, you know, your, your balance is becoming, you know, harder and harder to maintain uh, over time. And so you feel like, I don't know, it feels more dangerous, which, you know, is accurate to the sports type of simulation that they want to build. But I was thinking of like, would it be interesting to have kind of an injection of power when the combos start to to build up, you know, what can you do to add that, that flair and spectacle and, um, and to, you know, maybe, maybe you don't lose the danger of keeping a combo going. Maybe you become more of a glass cannon, but I want to, I want to do something that kind of qualitatively changes the gameplay when a combo builds up, uh, rather than just kind of the, the score going up, which feels kind of unsatisfying. Uh, so what can we do? What can we add to Tony Hawk to make the combo system more interesting?
1: Well, I don't know if any of the the skaters who were selling their likenesses would be interested in that. But one of the things I do remember is uh, from Tony Hawk is going and having a pretty, let's call it awful simulation in terms of getting hurt. Right. There were sometimes you would just take a dive and you go, oh, my God, I know I just landed on my Mm. Teeth, Like coming off of that jump or something. So maybe because you're building up speed and power, you could potentially now like the faster you're going when you wipe out the more damage you do to a character (laughs) and a character that's damaged is almost like a, you know, it's a bad set of tires. On your uh, racing car, it's less effective, or they're, you know, it takes them longer to get going, or something like that. So you could you could bring in the concept of your sort of own physical well being potentially, or maybe it's the
0: because we don't want to like disincentivize people from getting those big combos. I guess the high risk high reward sure. d- does make that interesting. But if getting combos was the only way to like restore the life of your character. Uh, which you know becomes more difficult if you take in a couple spills early on, and you could be uh, moving you know pretty slowly and with a limp, and you're kind of off balance when you're trying to balance. But then once you uh once you kind of break certain thresholds, then you start to get your you start to get it back. You know
1: that's interesting. Yeah. So the combos are it's almost like the way that like the current Doom sequels are like violence is the answer to everything. Like combos are the answer to everything like you uh, you unlock new parts of the levels by getting combos and uh, like comboing on certain surfaces make things like ramps and stuff appear Um, combos can heal your character up but they can also you know I think you generally correct me if I'm wrong but you you like the idea in the sense of at the very peak of it at your highest speed and all of that you also have the "I am so scared that I'm going to mess this up" feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right.
0: Which is kind of, uh, kind of similar to fighting games in a way. Like as well, I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe like as you are building a higher and higher combo, I, I guess you are taking more and more control of the battlefield, but. I do like this idea of like, I want to maintain that fear of, of losing what you've built.
1: Yeah. And I think that's intrinsic to Tony yeah. Hawk too, right? Like collecting skate, right, right. like having to manual all the way over to the E is like, can be pretty stressful. What if
0: you gain speed or some sort of like special powers or something like Tony Hawk five kind of dabbled in this and it didn't work out that well, but like, what if there is kind of an injection of speed or additional physics, like the kind of moon physics you would get in the cheat codes in the early games or, you know, different types of maybe special combos that you can only perform a certain point. Once you're at different combo
1: thresholds. Yeah, that's cool. I feel like that's very fighting game of there are certain, there are certain moves and stuff that you can only Mm. do after timing it off of a previous move. And so you could get into like building combos that way. And it's way more, it's not just about like, so much of the Tony Hawk combos can often be about, well, just how much time did you get in the air? Like how big of a setup you could do. And so um, this is air time plus like being able to perform the prerequisite uh, moves in order to to take it to the next level. So that, that's cool. That's a very fighting game.
0: Right. I think that's, enough time in that one. We've got a lot of community requests to get through. So we'll probably do these a little bit quicker as we go. But, um, you know, we don't have to do like one sentence replies, but it's probably not going to be super thorough just because there are quite a few of them. So let's go through what the community has uh, provided. The first of which is uh, star Wars Knights of the old Republic three.
1: yes, yes, yes. Yes. (laughs) Uh, the community is so smart. They uh, they know all. This is so good, mm-hmm. right? I mean, Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic. I mean, Knights of the Old Republic 3 is uh, maybe that exists in the Star Wars Online Knights of the Old Republic. Uh, that's from Ashton Herman. And uh, I'm wondering if it would be also cool now that we've built up to this point in the Star Wars uh, cinematic universe to do like Knights of the New mm. Republic and have something that is you know, rebuilding the empire in the same way that the old Republic was kind of the empire at its, uh, the, the quote old Republic at its peak, uh, not the empire. Mm -hmm. Very, you have to be very careful with your wording of empire in star Wars.
0: I mean, there are different time periods. I could see this being set in, uh, it would be interesting, like kind of post rise of Skywalker to have kind of a fledgling Jedi order that you got to, Perhaps see the hints of at the end of the last Jedi, um, kind of get a sense of the force no longer kind of guided by the like religious texts of the, the Jedi as those were, you know, burnt and, um, you know, we have to kind of move past the old things, the old Jedi order failed, um, in their responsibilities. And it's up to, you know, the, the new group of Jedi to, to really set out and, uh, define this, um, define this order for themselves. So, You know, maybe it's just them being like kind of space police in a way, you know, trying to get the the head cartels (laughs) under control and, you know, doing some of the work that like perhaps like bounty hunters would have done previously, but like trying to kind of reestablish the order in the universe after all of these wars have really kind of torn all these planets apart from one another.
1: Ravage them. I think that's cool. And to you know, maybe you play the head of the Jedi Council or the new head, you play the new head of the Jedi or whatever, and you almost get as part of the the RPG, you're not just making choices for you, the character, but you're also making maybe, you know, the sort of modern Mass Effect style choices where it's going to determine uh, what the new Jedi end up becoming in, you know, two or three games mm. from now. So... You know, in the same way in Mass Effect, you're kind of like amassing recruits in an army or you were going to decide like uh, who would be fighting with you in the war against the Reapers. You're finding out over the course of a game or, or three, if you're building a new type of sort of gray Jedi that is the true reformist, are you building a new version of the old sanctimonious, uh, you're not allowed to love, you can't have kids Jedi, or are you, uh, Building kind of a new Sith, mm-hmm. and it's it's really based on the the governance decisions that you make, along with the individualistic decisions that you enact.
0: Cool. I think that's a, that's an interesting direction. Let's go on to the next one. Um, this is a very specific direction. The Last of Us to Dancing All Night. Of course, a nice <laughs> mashup with the uh, Persona dancing games. How would we take The Last of Us and turn it into a rhythm game?
1: Oh. How do we not make this super dark? Um, Although maybe it has to be super dark because of the the fictional wrapping we set it in.
0: Perhaps there are, you know, a lot of the the clickers and such, um, you have to be very quiet around them. You have to sneak by them. Maybe in a kind of alternate um, way of approaching the situation, kind of like a quiet place. If you are in a very loud environment, then you can move a little bit more freely. So maybe there are these type of zombies that are so, um, sensitive that the only way to sneak by them is to turn on loud music from like a loudspeaker and then move kind of in, uh, in rhythm with the music. If you're out of beat with the music, then they'll hear it and they'll come after you.
1: I like the idea of kind of pre-scripted little, uh, sequences where you're kind of the, the music is blaring and you're. You're also trying to enjoy yourself. Maybe you're very practiced at escaping these situations. So you've got your little personal boombox, turn on your Bluetooth speaker, and then you're kind of oots, 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 dancing in between the clickers, uh, looking like uh, you're doing it with style and really enjoying yourself. Have there ever been rhythm stealth games? I don't know. I, I, there's been so many games where like the rhythm... Well, I don't know about so many, but there's been plenty of games where like the rhythm is the movement mm, uh, or right. is tied to movement that I'm sure that that's, that's probably how you'd have to execute the stealth too. Right? There's
0: one called Beat Sneak Bandit that I'm finding.
1: Oh, I loved Beat Sneak Bandit okay. on iOS. Yeah, there was, uh, there's, uh, <laughs> lights and stuff in that game and trap doors that are opening and mm. closing on rhythmic beats. And so you find yourself like every tap is a step and as your character, What's up against a wall? That's, you know, an additional tap like you were taking a step is what turns them around. So I think you could do like a little, you know, sort of left, right, forward dodging around these sort of enemies. And maybe different enemies have different <laughs> radiuses in which they can detect you and that sort of stuff.
0: <laughs> okay. I think that's an interesting direction. Let's move on to Deadly Premonition 2. Of course, there is a Deadly Premonition 2 coming, but we can't base anything off of that because we don't know what's going to be in it. So, um, have you played deadly premonition or do you know the story? I have no
1: idea anything about this game. Tell okay, me. So
0: deadly premonition was, um, it's kind of a cult horror game in a way where you play, a, a very kind of charismatic FBI agent coming into a, a small town in Washington state. It's very twin speed, twin peaks.
1: I was going to say, I've or, yeah, heard of this. Yes. Uh,
0: to solve a, a murder, which eventually kind of turns into a kind of a grander conspiracy. It's it's just very it's a very well delivered story. Uh, it's for as like the game is super janky to play, and it it's really just kind of like held together by duct tape and, and dreams. But um, it's it's just kind of undeniably interesting. The story is just so engrossing that really? uh, you know it's it's one of those games where. Throughout the game, I was at various points kind of suspecting almost everybody in the town of being this killer that you're after.
1: Is I know it's on Switch. Is it worth me revisiting or or visiting? I guess for the first time, or is it too janky? I'll always at this say point like,
0: I mean, it was really janky enjoy. at the time it released, um, but I would say like you know, if you feel like you're into that type of like really kind of difficult to play. But you know, rewarding if you end up getting it right type of uh cult game, then like go for it. But I think the easiest way in is there's a wonderful let's play by super great friend who's very thorough, who's very kind of like he's not obnoxious or anything like a lot of let's players were back in the day. Uh he's very like straightforward, um, has some funny moments in there as well, but it's just a great way to experience the game. So I would uh I always point people towards the super great friend, um, Let's play if they want to uh, get the deadly premonition experience.
1: Super great friend, not super right. best different,
0: friend. Uh, different person.
1: <laughs> Got it. So in a sequel, like, are we, is this a new crime? Is this a series of crimes maybe unfolding as you play well, through The thing it? is that
0: in the actual sequel that's coming out later this year, there's, um, this one kind of takes place in a New Orleans type of setting. So... Perhaps, you know, this is kind of a different city, different kind of supernaturally tinged crime uh, that he's investigating. So what would be uh, kind of an interesting, what would you want for like a, you know, Twin Peaks type of uh, of mystery romp?
1: I've definitely been, I think like the modern detective standard is for me set a lot by season one. And three of True mm-hmm. Detective. But also more recently, uh, I've been watching along with my wife Killing Eve, okay. which is a really cool show that I didn't think I was going to like. I thought it was going to be a lot more crime procedural because there was a lot of pants suits <laughs> on the on the box art. But uh, no, instead, what it is, is the tale of uh, somebody kind of chasing this assassin slash killer all around the globe and trying to always be they're always kind of one step behind them but they slowly become sort of obsessed with them and uh you know they're they're in season three now i don't want to give too much away except to say that like you start to wonder if you yourself have criminal tendencies so maybe there's some uh de-evolution of the main character you could have in deadly premonition too
0: yeah. Um, additionally, I was kind of thinking of like, this would actually be a really interesting setting for, uh, like a tiger King type of drama as well. You know, <laughs> characters that are that big and, and flamboyant and stuff would be, would fit in very, very well with the deadly premonition cast and crew.
1: <laughs> yeah. Especially if you have, uh, I think that's cool to think of like a setting that is just that weird and wild. It's, it's so funny. Cause you know, I think Twin Peaks has really not been, there's been other things that have even gone adjacent to it, but it hasn't really been done Mm -hmm. again, meaningfully. And um, so I think Deadly Premonition 2, maybe you do something where you're chasing somebody, it's, or or you're always one step behind, they're a very eccentric type of criminal, and then you find yourself, uh, in order to draw out the criminal, ever increasing your tactics, so you yourself become more and more, questionable to maybe to the point where the crime you you wonder if it was just right. imagined and you you know you just wanted to do these horrible things
0: yeah okay well i think i think that's good on that one let's try portal three
1: yes portal three uh what do you first of all we gotta have a purple portal right
0: more colors and the purple
1: portal <laughs> more colors yeah what does the purple portal do maybe it has some sort of like phasing mm-hmm. mechanism maybe it changes the physical properties of things that pass through it
0: okay yeah you know i feel like one of those things that perhaps i haven't thought about in a while but like it was everywhere when portal was new was so many people asking questions like you know what would happen if if you you know shot a portal on blank and blank and blank and all these like fun kind of theorizing. And and some of that was even carried forward into the ending of Portal 2 it was kind of contingent upon one of the uh, big things that, you know, people speculated about. I, w- I won't spoil it if people haven't played um, the end of Portal 2 yet, but, uh, you know, one of those, like, what would happen if you shot a portal here? And then it's like, okay, that's how uh, this right. game resolves. Interesting. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I, I wonder if there's different kind of, things that haven't been done with these, uh, with these portals yet. Um, setups that people have kind of always wanted to, to see, you know, maybe there's, um, maybe there's, uh, more puzzles about trying to like fill up a room with water by shooting a portal in a, uh, in an ocean and, you know, in the, uh, the room that you're in, maybe there's portals that already, exist and you're trying to like find their sister portals as you're kind of popping out all over the world, almost like that, uh, scene where Keanu Reeves is running through all the doors and the matrix reloaded.
1: Oh man. What, what a specific reference that I happened to watch very recently. (laughs) Yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. I like that. That's cool. And I, I think like because of the size and scope of things now, you could definitely have a portal that is set in multiple sort of places Um, around the world, and you're totally out of the laboratory, you're really going all in on it. The idea of even, I think you crank up, you know, what Valve does so well to the next level, which is just the physics of it. What happens when you get liquid physics in there? What happens when you start doing, like, particles, and maybe there's a particle accelerator or something to, um, that you can uh, portal things into and out of, and cause, like, huge explosions and that sort of stuff to navigate around puzzles. I like the idea of something that also can like freeze matter in place. So maybe you launch something out of a portal. It gets stuck in one of these like static fields. And then uh, you get some control over the field to deactivate it and, you know, launch the thing almost like the, the sort of original it um was it the, it wasn't the portal gun. What's the sort of launching gun that you get in half. Life? Oh, yeah. Gravity gun, the gravity gun. So maybe you bring the gravity gun into it and now you've got, uh, some additional layers in there. Yeah. I mean, this
0: could even be brought into VR. Um, to that space might be an interesting way to explore it. Although I don't know how much more we would get out of it. If it wasn't like a, if we didn't have like a big space that we could like really move through. Um, but you know, half-life, uh,
1: Let me tell you, without VR, I almost get sick in a Portal game, so I wonder wonder how extreme we can take it.
0: I mean, realistically, Portal 3 would probably just be Half-Life 3, with um, the Portal gun kind of implemented into uh, Gordon's um, equipment library. Right. Yeah, that'd be wild. Uh, And then utilizing that in combat. It might come sooner than we think. who knows? Who knows? All right, let's uh, (laughs) let's move on. Uh, Chrono Trigger... Chrono Cross. What can we add to that series? I've, uh, I've played the first probably couple hours of Chrono Trigger a few times, but I've never been all the way through it. So I think this is one that you, you, you did the, you had the whole story about buying the cartridge,
1: right? I bought the cartridge. I'm, I'm probably 12 or 13 hours into Chrono mm-hmm. Trigger. I never played Chrono Cross though. I think like the general concept of an rpg especially now that like ff7 remake is out where you have these vastly different time periods and you're traveling in the same space or in the same world across different different time periods and having those different layers applied to it you could do so much more both graphically and narratively now than those games were ever capable of they took them to their max but ultimately they're pretty i mean chrono trigger anyway was on the super nintendo very simplistic in its implementation of that stuff but the mystery you could build now um a a time-spanning mystery you could even get into paradoxes and things and maybe that happens in the chrono cross games but i I, you know i haven't played chrono cross
0: that promise that was made for fable where you can plant a an acorn and then come back later and a tree will be in its place. Um, I would like for there to be these kind of like temporal consequences between the past and the future. You know, you get little bits and pieces of that in uh, Ocarina of Time and and similar types of games, but I would just love for for something that really utilizes that as a core game mechanic.
1: And I think that you get some of that probably in Chrono Trigger as well. There's some, but like you said, there's snippets of it. They're tied to specific narrative beats of like, okay, I'm going to do this thing in this time period so I can go and uh, make this change in another time period Uh, and to take it to the extreme of being able to, you know, literally have either systems or economies or things in place where you can take an area from being a completely impoverished place at the beginning of the game to going back in time, doing something that affects its economy taking someone out potentially or you know unlocking something for those people making something never happen you could use it as like talking to npcs in one time period where they share stories of things that happened in the past or things that are trying to be enacted for mm-hmm. the future and you specifically go to those time periods and change those things could be a really interesting way of cascading changes across time periods let's
0: move on to alan
1: wake 2
0: where do we take the alan wake series? great love
1: it let's do it <laughs> i think we've pitched something similar let's uh yeah all sorts of lighting physics and now that there's ray tracing you could do a lot more with shadows mm. and how you actually defeat and fight enemies Yeah,
0: maybe enemies are manifested from the shadows that are cast by your light. And so as you're shining the light around, because that's your primary way of seeing, you're also potentially triggering or generating um, enemies that will end up coming at you. And if uh, you could try to kind of go through sections that might be difficult to fight in with your light off, or you could try to avoid shining your light at objects that are close by because they'll cast larger shadows or certain types of almost like a combinations of Shapes in the environment that might cast like a human-like shadow or a shadow of a particularly dangerous looking monster.
1: I think now that you have the stuff with control uh, crossing over Mm. as well that uh, you can really get into the realm of like either potentially crazy powers or in the same way that uh, Wake is kind of convinced that characters from some of his books uh, or villains from some of his books are manifesting in some way. Maybe you can do a... Uh, journey across Alan Wake's different books, like literally um, he's fictionally able to jump between different uh, books that he's written.
0: Yeah. That's interesting. I like that a lot. Um, Maybe there's a kind of confusion with uh, one of the characters in the books takes on kind of a consciousness of his own and you have to kind of go between playing as the character and playing, Alan trying to uh, get him to write certain scenarios for the character to experience to get him out of the jams that he's in. Anyways, on to Populous slash Black and White.
1: Yes, that was on my list, too. So I'm glad I didn't read the uh, (laughs) listener submissions. I'll just read you what I have here. Return this thing. I want a uh, Black and White. I guess it would be three Mm -hmm. because there was a two. Yeah. Make it more systems driven uh, make it so that you kind of not only are building this town, maybe take away the war aspect of it. Although if some people prefer that, I'm sure you can still do it and instead make it a little bit more Minecrafty, have people, your villagers going around, exploring, digging up archeology span digs. And as they uncover relics, you can, uh, get new God powers.
0: Okay. So I haven't played that much, um, black and white or populace. So it's kind of, trying to think about interesting systems that might be in place we've talked a lot of about i think over multiple pitches in the past about creating kind of systems of uh of worship and um and followers in that way
1: yeah as in black and white you can kind of cast miracles and the miracles come in the form of like casting rain down on crops for your villagers and that like the villagers that are around that in a very, you know, kind of radius-based, simplistic way will believe in you more. And it's like people's belief in you that powers how much power you have. But there wasn't really much in terms of like a skill tree. There was not, um, an ever expanding series of God powers. I think you could do stuff too, where as artifacts are uncovered about you, you kind of chose the animal that you felt like represented you in some way. You could potentially do something where as people uncover text, ancient texts and stuff about you, their understanding of you changes. And so the physicality of oh, your sort yeah. of large uh, avatar can change the too.
0: Tinkerbell rules in a way, you know, you are what you, what they believe you to be. Okay, cool. Crack right. that nut. Let's move on to Sim Ant.
1: I, I, this is like running an ant colony. So,
0: uh, I guess the, the way to mix this up would be to kind of take an earth defense force type of, uh, lens to it. Uh, I know that, uh, taking lenses (laughs) to ants is something that they, uh, probably have a lot of sensitivity over, but, um, you know, maybe
1: apologize to our ant listeners, Yeah,
0: maybe like creating underground tunnels for giant ants, maybe underneath a city. And you have to kind of like build up a an ant army without being detected. You can carve all the little tunnels, but you don't want the ground to collapse. You don't want it to leave a, and if any traces on the surface of your giant monster ants until you have a big enough army to emerge and then you know conquer this city or army base that's nearby or whatever.
1: I do like the idea of doing things like. Um, very modern interpretations of like recon missions or GTA style heists where you organize an ant heist to creep into somebody's house and extract like cubes of sugar from the sugar bowl and (laughs) have those little side things that bring home big resource bounties for your little colony.
0: Uh, Moving on to Ogre Battle as an MMO. This is uh, one of the tactical RPGs, which I, I don't know if I've ever seen on an MMO type of plane. I think turn-based is difficult in MMO settings because it kind of is contingent upon like you don't want to wait for potentially minutes or hours at a time while other people around you are taking
1: turns. So how do we crack that nut? First of all, this is World of Warcraft. Okay. I think the one of the modern interpretations of it, for better or worse, might be things that we've seen in the mobile space where... You're building up your ogre armies, you're assembling teams, and then you're going and sending them out on missions, and the missions take a period of time. Um, And then it's almost, not necessarily Clash of Clans style, but you're like going to send them to take over a town, and that's how you you get the kind of uh, team-for-team matchup against who's defending versus who's attacking. You could do all sorts of things where you get like world bonuses for positioning or uh, timing of strike. Maybe uh, certain characters or classes of characters are vulnerable at different times of day. So you're, you're kind of always uh, trying to figure out when to best send out your ogre armies to, to lead them into battle. All right, let's, uh, let's
0: try something similar. This is Dragon Force, the game. (laughs) and not the band. Um I've never played this game and I really don't know that much about it. It looks like it's kind of an advance wars type of game uh in which you are uh, kind of commanding these large armies and, and there's a lot of screenshots of uh these kind of great clashes between all these kind of cool chip tune or chip not chip tune um uh, sprite based characters um in pretty impressive scale on screen going up against each other.
1: Yeah, this this almost looks weirdly, in a way, like some combination between the tower defense game and Final Fantasy VII, the tower defense mini game in the original Final Fantasy VII, and then suddenly it launches into. Almost like a Dynasty yeah. Warriors type of thing going on. I've never played Dragon Force either, but yeah, I if the general thing is like having a, you know, let's call it a simplified version of Civ and you do more of a Civ revolution view where you're able to make these moves and take these armies, but then you also have the um, Dynasty Warriors tactical battle sim to go and actually take over these cities or defend cities and you do that uh, by hand could be a cool twist on this
0: i like it i think that'll that'll be as far as we get with that one
1: (laughs) these are so tough nathan is he's coming for us today
0: this next one i i really don't know at all unfortunately either uh this is battle clash which i'm uh guessing from (laughs) screenshot looks to be a first person uh mech type of uh battling game um, from the super Nintendo.
1: I'm looking at it now. So it looks like you can, you're not only battling mechs, but you are doing like point damage to mm. different limbs and that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, it's hard not to imagine they, they shouldn't have made it the Damon X machina and they should have done battle clash two, right. Or something, yeah, so,
0: you know, we've seen all, um, a lot of first person mech based games in the modern age, you know, from, uh, Mech Assault and Mech Warrior and all these, um, and, and games in, uh, VR as well, uh, do this very well, but it's always like kind of roaming around these giant battlefields and, and doing it more of like a war type scale. Um, whereas this looks to be a very kind of one-on-one type of fight, maybe it'd be interesting to have almost like an arms, like a, a fighting game in first person where, you're controlling all these kind of different robots with these crazy limbs and weapons and uh, you have different ways of triggering them.
1: Could be fun. One thing that looks important in, in some of the video that I'm seeing is the sense of constant momentum. So I think like, could you, I love the VR twist, taking the VR and then, uh, you know, keeping the things like the limb damage stuff. And then also having this feel like it almost has that like anime style background pacing that looks pretty signature to this game all right twisted metal okay we've played this yeah (laughs) i don't see why there's not a new twisted metal it actually is surprising to me that they haven't gone back to this well i mean if anything like i would really like a
0: sequel to cell damage uh the kind of cartoony twisted metal game that operated on like cartoon logic and cartoon physics from back in the xbox gamecube period of time it's because the whole thing is so over the top anyways like why not just go full bugs bunny with it right
1: yeah i mean i'm i'm for that i do think that like the thing that twisted metal had a lot was that sort of like edge lord yeah. aesthetic to it and so like the characters are like the twisted Clown and the uh, I know Rob Zombie was literally a character in there, so there was something that was very WWE about the whole thing. That maybe you go for more of that uh, that cell damage sort of vibe, but you have characters that feel straight out of the wwe and now let me like design my own twisted metal character uh put them in ridiculous costumes and stuff (laughs) and of course you could do so much now with online battles and the way that that stuff was just really pretty nascent when twisted metal was kind of reaching the end of its uh popularity
0: more realistic kind of like wreck fest recently where you get like realistic damage being done to the different parts of the cars and that affects how they drive and the uh, kind of soft body crumpling and, and really seeing the damage that you're doing to these cars. I can see that being a lot of fun. And then um, uh, spending time, like really kind of customizing where the armor is on your car and what you're going to do to protect it yeah. against the other types of vehicles that are coming around.
1: I think for popularity and good measure, why don't we also have the whole thing set on like a, uh, you know, Forza, uh, you know, a slice of a Forza horizon size map and then do the true battle royale thing where the circle is always closing in and you have to (laughs) eventually end with a bunch of really badly damaged cars slowly trying to launch whatever weapons they have left at each other.
0: Okay, on next is Flower. Oh yeah, this is the the Yeah, the PlayStation 3 game where you play a flower petal going around kind of waking up different, uh, kind of restoring color to the natural world around you. But this could be cool in an urban setting. Uh, the original flower kind of played with that, but if you were in a more realistic urban setting, kind of floating between um, windows and almost like a going back to Tony Hawk trying to find those lines of you know, who has potted plants, who has office plants, and it's a little bit more kind of like free form, but there are like roots, uh, multiple roots, and it's all about trying to kind of explore and find, ways to chain together plants uh through a urban environment um to uh to get to a certain point. And you could
1: be like beautifying yeah. a city and like green greening up a city. I like the idea of potentially having some mechanic to where as you greenify or as you like restore parts of things, you are losing some of your own right. flower power in a way. And so maybe you could incorporate something like, uh, you know, bees or bee (laughs) colonies. And if you're able to like make contact with a bee and get that pollen injection or whatever, that sort of restores your flower power and lets you, uh, continue to propagate or something like that.
0: I like it. Uh, what about Ultima? I did not play Ultima. Yeah. This is another one that I'm not an expert in. I know the, it's an old school RPG series, but I I really don't know what sets it apart or what makes it uh what makes it interesting. So I guess I can just say make Ultima a tennis game, a set in that medieval fantasy <laughs> setting. Ultima tennis.
1: Yeah. It actually sounds like yeah, it should already
0: be a Sega game somewhere. Um, okay, sorry. Echo the dolphin.
1: I like this. I mean. Now that you have like your Abzus of the Mm -hmm. world, I think you could actually do a really cool journey style game. Heck, let's get those developers to get on an Echo the Dolphin experience and tell uh, an Echo story the same way that you do with like no dialogue, no nothing. Um, And maybe you even, you know, spoiler alert for Journey here, encounter other dolphins that you're not quite sure is that AI or is that uh, a fellow player?
0: There's that game, uh, what is it, Manhunter that's coming out this month. Uh, The one where you're playing a giant shark trying to eat people swimming in the ocean.
1: I like the sense of momentum
0: that that game has. And, uh, you know, that's something that's really hard to kind of emulate to get that feeling of of freedom, like you're not a clumsy fish, you know where you're swimming and where you're going. But at the same time, like trying to maintain that speed and momentum and that kind of unstoppable power of being such a magnificent and strong creature underwater. Okay, let's wrap it up with Alien Soldier. This is another one that I've uh, not played. I, I own on one of those Sega Genesis collections, but it's kind of like if I had to describe it almost like a Cuphead type of game where there are these kind of side-scrolling levels that um you kind of shoot and dash your way through, and then they all kind of culminate um short levels that all kind of culminate in a big kind of screen-filling boss fight at the end of them. And those are the real kind of spectacles. And it's all about learning the patterns and dodging around and uh um, but they're all very like goofy looking characters as well. The aliens are are Kind of comical. It reminds me a lot of a uh, Journey to the Savage Planet art direction.
1: <laughs> There's also something about the main character that you're playing as that looks like if you took uh, sort of a Mega Man X boss mm-hmm. or something and made them beefy like a '90s X-Men comic, um, just like. I think this is like muscles on muscles. It's it's hard to read. It's just bulging (laughs) costume. But okay, what about this? Even though this game is very much like a character action game, where I think the modern version of it would be a character action game of mostly just boss rushes. What if you what if you use the opportunity to uh, slow it way down, but still make it sort of sci fi mech aesthetic, Godzilla kaiju aesthetic and you make it feel a lot more like a bloodborne you could do a final fantasy 7
0: remake type of thing where you have this kind of fast-paced uh realistic combat and then you can kind of pause time or slow time way down to enter more specific types of spells or change weapons um something that can really kind of inject that uh tacticality into it all
1: yeah and then you could also add in some light rpg stuff for good measure so that you can actually progress the character and uh it looks like there's even like cool things with gravity where the character's able to walk on ceilings and stuff eventually so cool stuff all around all right that brings us
0: to the end of the ones the community sent in with only (sighs) mike's final uh request to kind of lead us out of the episode uh, I guess let's count this as our miniature pitch for the day. Before we get into that, we should uh, we should say thank you, everyone, for listening, and um, thank you for uh, uh, subscribing, for sending in all of your video game ideas. If you have a video game idea, big or small, you can email them to playwrightcast at gmail.com. You can go to our website, com slash pitch, or you can tweet us at playwrightcast. We will read and discuss your ideas for a video game of any kind, whether it's a sequel or a completely original concept in a future show.
1: Yeah. And as, as an aside, I mean, we look at the, you know, stats and stuff week in and week out and you know, our group of listeners has to be some of the most consistent, uh, and loyal group of listeners that I've ever seen for a show like this. It's a nice way of saying that we're not growing our (laughs) listeners. No, I mean, (laughs) (laughs) No, I guess what I mean is like, I'm so surprised to see like the, it is so consistent. Like we we have never, I don't know if we've ever really lost listeners. It's pretty crazy to think about. So thank you so much for being with us through 150 of Mm. these things, Uh, especially the people who have been with us through the beginning and listen to us week in and week out. And I, I don't know how you put up with us, but we love you and we appreciate it. Special thank you, as always, for the one hundred and fiftieth time to Protodome for the use of our theme song Hello World off the album Blue Noise. Go check out his latest stuff. He's got a new cool uh what what is it called? Um Chip. Yeah, like one bit album album that just came out. Yeah, he's got he's got a demo of it on Twitter of, of it playing on a Game Boy, which is pretty wild. Yeah, very cool. Um oh and also go check out the other great shows on the canon Rinse Network, like Sound of Play. If you can't get enough of me, you're gonna get more of me on this uh, either this past or this coming Sound of Play. It was this past Sound yeah, of the play? one that
0: uh, happened yesterday, hopefully.
1: <laughs> okay, great. Of course the Canon rinse podcast and the Sausage Factory, all great stuff.
0: Great, that'll take us out of the show. Um, this is uh coming from Micah Square who says, How would we produce a new ace combat game? Those are the jet fighting top gun type of uh of kind of arcadey,
1: yeah, aerial fighters. Didn't they call like the latest ace combat like a, the dark souls of <laughs> Flight games. I didn't see that, but I'm like sure that? somebody did. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, it's it's almost. I love that somebody
0: went really Titanfall two with this and incorporated some of those like crazy mind bending. You know whether the, the world is just kind of shifting around you as you're trying to navigate and fly through it and dogfight, or you have uh, the ability to kind of like flash between two different time periods, going back and forth um, to try to get yourself out of trouble without trying to, you know, crash into. Trees or dinosaurs or something that pop up in this alternate timeline.
1: I like the idea, too, of, uh, you know, leveraging the tech that the No Man's Sky team has figured out of just being able to have a persistent open world where you can land the plane, take on new missions, take right off again and get into these generated missions, potentially
0: maybe exiting the atmosphere and having continuing these dogfights out in space I don't know how that would significantly yeah, change things. Yeah, you see, like but, your shield yeah, activates. Different types of weapons are needed. Yeah, that would at that be cool because then
1: you could go to different planets yeah. too.
0: Anyways, I think that'll do it for us today. This has been a long recording. Uh, thank you all for um, for listening, and we'll see you for the next
1: however many. <laughs> Hundred and fifty. <laughs> oh my God, we're gonna be old man gamers before we know it. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>